Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Uh, it is a pleasure to have all the, the kids with us today. I'm glad you've joined us. Thank you, parents, for bringing them, and uh, we're glad that you're with us. I want to welcome you to Calvary Baptist Church, and I want to especially welcome those who are joining us online. Uh, we've been online now for several weeks, but today is our first day to do a live streaming event, so uh, you all get to be a part of the live audience today, so I appreciate you being here. But thank you for joining us, and we hope that all of you have gathered, and the Lord is going to speak to you in a very special way. Here's how I would like to start today. Um, we have been looking at a verse of scripture for the last several weeks, and I'd like us to kick off with that verse again. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 43. We've been talking about a phrase that's been bouncing around a lot that's about the new normal, okay? So this is the phrase, the verse that we've been looking at, but here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to say this, this paraphrase of this verse with me today out loud. Uh, those of you online, you can join us as we say this out loud together. Isaiah 43, verse 19. Would you say it with me? God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Now, that's been our thought as we've been looking about this new normal, about uh, that God may actually be up to something behind it. Here's the question that kind of comes to my mind. Do we really believe this? Do we really think it's possible that God, through all these things that we've experienced, that God has allowed or is working through something, maybe through all that we've experienced to actually change us? to actually do something to help us to grow, to be what he's called us to be in a different way? Is it possible maybe he's taken some things out of our lives to maybe focus our attention or maybe repositioned us in some ways that we would have never been without this to actually help us to be what he's called? Do we believe that that's possible? Now, maybe the better question is, how are we going to handle that? I mean, the new normal is going to be here. What we talk about, not just on physical, but even what God's changing and as he changes our life, that's going to be a part of our reality. How how do we respond to that? Are we going to embrace that and say, okay, God, let's, let's do this, or are we going to be struggling and fighting with it? That becomes the issue that we're going to deal with over the, over the next foreseeable future. So here's what I want to do today. I want to introduce what we're going to talk about with, a, with another historical um, uh, look back. Dolly shared several things from history that, that some of you are familiar with and so forth. So I want to take us back to uh, December 15, 1956. Now that's way, way before my time, right? I'm not near that, okay? So 1956, December 15th. There was a phrase used for the first time that later became a famous phrase, and it was used by a disc jockey in Shreveport, Louisiana. And here is simply what the disc jockey said. He said, Elvis has left the building. How many of you remember hearing that, right? Okay, uh, this disc jockey made that famous, and now we've heard it in different ways. Elvis is, what I found very interesting, I actually listened to kind of the recording of it. He, he meant exactly that. I mean, there were people screaming, Elvis, blah, 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 hoping he'd come back to sing again. And he's like, guys, do you realize he's not even here? Uh, you, you want an encore? You want him to sign something? That's going to be hard because he's not even here anymore. He literally has left the building. If you keep listening, he says a policeman has escorted him away. He's not even here. You can't, you're not going to get anything else. I want to take that phrase, and I want to now, let's transpose that to think about us as God's people as a church, and I want to say it this way, the church has left the building. I think that becomes an important thing for us to understand, that when this service is over, 
that the church still has a job to do. In fact, church really begins as we leave here. We leave our gathering, whether it's here or online, and we then go into the world to do what we're going to do this week. The church has left the building. That's going to be kind of our thought, but I want to take you to a very, uh, for many, this will be a familiar account from the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're in John chapter number 4 today. We're going to look into a very familiar passage, a, a story from Jesus' life and his ministry as he's on, uh, here on earth. And I, I've been anxious, I said this first service, I've been anxious to kind of get this one, get this message out. One, whenever you, uh, as a pastor, sometimes you, get, you know this is something that needs to be said, but there's sometimes when this message is just burning so hard within me and it's kind of convicting or challenging me that i got to get it off my chest. I want somebody else to feel what I'm feeling, right? So that's one of these kind of messages. John chapter number 4, the, the verse we're going to kind of focus on is verse number 35. And the, the verse says this, Jesus speaking, he says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes and look at the fields. I want you to, here, we're going to dive into that a little bit. But let me, right off the bat, help you understand. He wasn't uh, commenting that they had an eyesight issue. It wasn't that they needed glasses. They, they weren't seeing things clearly. But what he's saying is they do have a vision issue. It's not that they couldn't see. It's that what they were looking at, they were missing some very significant things. And he's saying, I, I want you to see differently. There's, there's probably several ways, but I want to point out three ways that you could look at this particular phrase. Open your eyes and look. One, I think he was saying, you, you, need, to look, uh, you need to look again. Take another look. In other words, don't overlook something obvious, something right in front of your face. Have you ever been driving by something that you've driven by for, for a long time, and you see, and you go, wow, I, and somebody goes, it's been there the whole time, and you just missed it, right? Or maybe you're seeing a movie for the 12th or 13th time, and you notice, wow, I never saw that before. Well, they didn't change the movie. You just didn't see it. The first, my poor wife, um, this happens every once in a while, she'll say, hey, I need to go to the refrigerator and get the, let's say the pickles, all right? So I open the refrigerator door, and I go, I don't see pickles. There's no pickles in here. <laughs> Here's my wife's, she's going she's gonna, to uh, make this a phrase. That only she, I know how you look for things. Any wives ever say that? Okay. I know how you look for things. Because she comes to the door, and I hate it every time. And I know it's going to happen. She comes to the door, and she goes, Boop, it, was, it would have been a snake. It would have bit me, right? It was right there in front of me, but I just didn't see it. One of the things Jesus is saying, take another look. Look, look again. Here's another way. He's saying, I think, look, look more closely. Take a closer look. Don't miss the details. Sometimes I, I've had the same instance when someone says, here, look at this. And I go, yeah, uh-huh. And I kind of glance through it. But I, I didn't see it. I didn't gasp anything. I just was getting them off my, I, I'm looking, but I'm not looking, right? Or sometimes I, I don't want to look. You know, I, I see it, and I because if I, if I look there, then that's going to move my focus, and now I'm going to be all, something else is going to, and I don't, I don't want anything else right now into my, my vision specter, so I'm not going to look. And he's saying, there's something here, some details I don't want you to miss. But let's look at that phrase again. Look what he specifically says. He says, look at the fields. I, I think what he very specifically is saying is, don't miss the bigger picture. There's something we're going to learn. These guys that are with Jesus, his disciples, 
they are literally, in a few moments, going to witness a true miracle. It's going to unfold right in front of their eyes. And at this point, they're missing it. And the fact is, they might miss it if they don't change their vision. They're not going to see what God is doing right in front of them. They're wrapped up in their own lives, their own agendas, their own what they want to be done, and they're going to miss what's really happening around them. He says, I want you to look up. I want you to see what's really going on, which that's going to take us to what our, we're calling our theme for today, because we've been talking about this new normal God takes something out and replaces it with something or reminds us of something. Here's how I'm saying it today. We're talking about we must turn our focus inside out. Or to say it more specifically, we must, as God's people, as a church, move from focusing primarily on the inside to focusing on the outside. Not being just a, build, a church that focuses on what's happening here, but also what, and focusing on what's outside. I heard a pastor recently, Miles McPherson, he's a pastor in San Diego, and he, he made this statement. I've heard something like this before. He said, the church has a tendency to have a country club mentality. And here's what he described about this country club. We, we, we seem to act as if God is in our buildings that God is in our, our services, in our gatherings. But the question comes, so what happens when our buildings get shut down, as they did recently? What happens when we're, when it, it, and it's, God's not fretting, but God, he, he gave the expression that God's kind of saying, so what are you going to do now? He said, yes, your, your, your location may have changed, but your mission hasn't changed. What are you going to do about that? Now, what are you going to do? And Miles McPherson, if you don't know him, he actually used to play in the NFL, uh, which, just side note, I hope football comes back. I'm just, that's one of my prayers because I really miss the game. But anyway, Miles McPherson talking about football, I use this illustration. He said, there's something very important that if you watch football at all, you'll recognize what's called the huddle. It's a part of the football game now. It actually, just, we've been talking about history buffs for a minute. It actually started in 1892 uh, at a, a college for deaf and hearing impaired. They had a football team. And they were noticing that when they gave the signs, obviously everybody could see them. So the quarterback gathered his guys together after every play, and he would give them the signs in the huddle where no one else could see them. And that's how the huddle got its start, right? Well, now it's just a part of the game. And in between plays, almost always, the offense and the defense both, they'll meet together, they, they reunite, they kind of strategize, they do some things. And, and, but here's Miles' point. He said this, no one comes to a football game to watch the huddle. You come to a football game to watch the play that comes out of the huddle. And Christians, Calvary, this is our huddle. Sunday mornings, when we gather together, this is our huddle. And it's a great thing. It's important. We strategize. We unite. We, we encourage. We learn. We grow. And that's important. And, and I'll just say to take this analogy to the next step, we're not, we're not at all a no-huddle offense. We, we know how important this is. It's important that we gather. I believe that helps us to grow, helps us to do what we're called to do. The gathering is critically important. But the question is, but what's the play? What are we supposed to do out of this huddle? 
And that's what we got to understand. God calls us to huddle and gather and unite, but it's what we do outside of this huddle that God has called us as God's people to do, that what we do outside of this, that, that there is a world around us that needs to hear about Jesus, and we take, and God has called us to make that kind of impact, to make that kind of difference. We're to be taking light to a dark world. We're to be taking hope to people who are hopeless. Think about this for just a moment. You, you've got to agree with me that around our culture, people are afraid. People are anxious. Anxieties are on the rise. Um, dis- divorce rates are on the rise. Domestic violence is on the rise. Uh, you know, we got disappointment and we've got anxiety and we've got despair. And people are looking for hope. And God says, I bring you, I huddle you together to be united and energized in your hope to take that outside to people who need Jesus, who need to hear, to take what we're getting inside and take it to the outside to a world who needs him. I read a true but very sobering quote this week, and I'll share it with you. Rich Burt says this, churches that are solely focused on those that are already attending are on the brink of extinction. But churches that reach out to people who are truly disconnected from the message of Jesus will win the day long term as those people come to know Christ and are discipled to follow him. That's what we do. We take what we are getting in the huddle and take it outside to see God change the world. We've got to move our vision from just being inside to where we see the needs outside. But how do we do that? Well, here's what we're going to talk about. John chapter number 4. We come back to what Jesus said in this verse 35, and he says very simply, open your eyes and look at the fields. So I'm going to focus on three words in that phrase. Open your eyes. Say that with me. Say it with me at home. Open your eyes. I want to focus on what he's trying to tell and what he's trying to help us to get in, the, in just from that phrase. But to do that, we, obviously we need to back up a little bit. If you have not read recently John 4, Man, I would challenge you. It's a great chapter of the scriptures. It's, it's incredible what's, what's happening in these verses. We're kind of coming right in the middle of an of a account, right in the middle of a story. Verse 27, uh, we find that just then his disciples, they returned. They'd been in the, a city called Sychar. They returned to him, and they were surprised to find him, Jesus, talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? They were surprised that he was talking to a woman. Your version may say they were amazed at this. Something, this shocked them that he was talking to a woman. Now, notice they didn't say that out loud. They, they just thought it, and John, being the writer, kind of recorded their thoughts. But he, they don't say it out loud, but they're very amazed, very shocked. Now, why would they be so surprised at Jesus talking to a woman? Well, let, let, we'll, we'll throw out a couple things. First of all, there was a cultural thing going on here. Culturally, for a, it, this was a taboo for, for that to happen in their culture. A reputable Jewish man was not supposed to talk to a woman in public. That was the culture of that time. Wasn't supposed to talk to a woman in public, and especially not a Samaritan woman in public. And to take that even further, a Samaritan woman who, let's say, had questionable moral reputation. And that was the woman that he's talking to. Now, the, the story, as we're going to find out, will kind of give details of more of her problems, her, her moral problems. But just the fact that Jesus is meeting her at this well of water at noon 
That's a hit because the woman would come early in the day while it was cool. So the fact that she's there alone in the heat of the day drawing water tells us that the other woman didn't want to have anything to do with her. She was an outcast. There was something about her that was, was not appropriate, was not reputable. And so the disciples are shocked that he's having this conversation. As I said, this is one of the most amazing chapters when you want to know about God's love and God's grace, God's compassion, God's work in ministry and people's lives. I, I would challenge you to read it. But it, it, we're, we're going to kind of talk about, our, our focus today is going to be the after effects of this event. But we, we couldn't get there without understanding a little bit of this story. So let me remind you of, if you're not familiar with it, we'll go back verse number four where the chapter begins. And it actually says this, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, that's a significant phrase. Uh, now, if you look on a map from where they were, the Jerusalem area, to Galilee where they were going, the straightest route would be through Samaria. That would make sense. However, again, in the Jewish culture, there was such a, an animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was, a, there was a prejudice on both sides. They literally hated each other. So most Jews, in making that trip, would go around Samaria. Even though that cost them extra miles, they would make the effort to go around. So Jesus saying, I have, we have to go through Samaria, shows us that he knew there was an appointment. There was a divine reason why they were making this trip at this time, going to this place. And what we find is, when he, they stop here in Sychar, they, they stop, it's at noontime, Jesus stays at the well, the disciples go in to get lunch, and here comes this woman. And Jesus strikes up a conversation by saying, would you give me a drink? Here's the second thing we find in the story. Verse number nine tells us that, Jesus, that the disciples were not the only people shocked by Jesus talking to this woman. The woman herself was shocked. Okay, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for this? I mean, she was shocked by this whole thing. Jesus then launches into this whole idea of, ma'am, I, I, I want to give you living water so that you never have to come here and draw again. Now, obviously, we know from context, he was talking about more than just, you know, water that you drink. He was talking about spiritual water would change your life. He was talking about, that he knew, and he's going to explain to her, he knows the story. He knows that she has tried to find some kind of refreshment in just about everything. She's tried relationships. She's tried, even she'll mention religion. She's tried all those things, and he knows that she's still spiritually thirsty. Now, whether she completely understood that or not, I get the impression from verse number 15 that it was starting to make sense because she said, sir, I want some of that water. Now, whether she just meant, I don't want to ever come back and draw here again, or she's saying, man, that sounds good. My life needs that, right? Whatever or mixture of both, she says, I want that water. Here's what Jesus does then. He then gets really personal. In the next verse, he says, okay, let's have this talk. But before we do, go back and get your husband. Now, that's where everything starts to come together. This woman who's there at noon, here's the reason why. She says, well, I don't really have a husband. Jesus said, I know that. Uh, you've actually had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Now the shoe drops. That's why she's there at noon by herself. Why, Jesus, would you have to go through it? Why would you have to point out sin? I mean, wouldn't it be much more appropriate just to, you know, let's just, let's just go get past this? Here's what you got to realize, folks. In every one of our lives, sin is an issue that has got to be dealt with. We don't, it's not that we, we, we she, he didn't, he's no condemnation here. He just simply points, it's got to bring this to the table. Here's what you got to understand. Every one of us in this room, we got to recognize that the big elephant in the room for every one of us is sin. 
We can't get past that. We're sinners apart from a holy God, and we have to recognize the fact that this sin is destroying us. What he's doing is he, she has to recognize that the part of the reason she doesn't feel refreshed is because what has separated from her God is her sin. And he brings that to light, and we have to do the same thing. We have to recognize that, that God doesn't bring up our sin to, to kill us, to destroy us. He brings it so we can recognize it and let him deal with it. And that's what he does in her, her life. She tries to change the subject And then ultimately he brings it back to worshiping God. And she says in verse 25, well, you know what? The Messiah, when he comes, he's going to explain all this to us. And Jesus says something incredible. He says, ma'am, I am that Messiah. I am he. I'm the one that you've been looking for. Now that brings us up to where we are in in the account. But what I find interesting is the Bible doesn't give us any verbal response to what Jesus just says about the Messiah. We don't hear her say anything, but her next actions, they speak volumes. Let me read them to you, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Then they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Suddenly, we don't know what she said. We don't know what happened inside of her, but something's changed. And just that phrase that it says that, that she left her water jar. Just think about that. That's the reason she went here. That was the whole purpose for her going there, and she leaves that there. What does that tell you? Well, for one, it tells me she got what she came for. She was now not thirsty the way she was. God had somehow spiritually, I think, had changed her life, and that jar was not near as important as it was when she went there. But also, she is now so excited about what has happened in her life that she's, I've got to tell somebody about this. This is something that has changed me. And, that, and what we know, the, the disciples weren't the only ones that were going to have open eyes at the end of this day. This woman's eyes are open in a way they've never been before. But don't miss this. When she goes back, she had no formal training to tell anybody about what, what she knew or believed. In fact, she didn't really know what happened to her. She really, she's like, I don't, I, all I know is this guy told me everything ever I did. She just went back and told what happened to her, and God d- d- begins to do a work through her life that will change. She just simply said, you got to come and see. you got to come and see this because it has changed my life. So here's what I want to share with you. We're talking about moving our focus from just being inside-oriented to truly being outside-oriented. Here's the first thought I want to give you. We, you need to open your eyes to see what God has done in you. This woman, in her life, everything from this point on, as far as we can tell, was different. And she realized through her conversation that Jesus was truly all that she needed. All the things she had tried, everything she tried to fill her spiritual thirst, didn't Jesus took care of all. It was he was everything that she needed. He was the deepest need, and she, it was met when she met Jesus. Here's what I want to suggest to those of us who know Christ. My question for all of you today is going to be, I'm going to say it several different ways. Do you know him? Have you, have you had your thirst filled through Christ? That's going to be a question we'll ask in different ways. But let me look at you that know Christ. You know Christ is your Savior, your follower of his. Here's what I know to be true, because I've been in this a few years. It is that over the years, we tend to forget what it was like to be lost. We tend to forget what it was like before Jesus. 
I mean, we, we, maybe that first thing was, oh, great, kind of like this woman. But over years, we tend to kind of lose it. We kind of become complacent in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm free. I've got, got my get-out-of-hell-free card right in my pocket. I'm good now. And we kind of forget. what. The, here's what you've got to recognize. If you're a follower of Christ, you were in the same position that this woman was in. You say, well, my circumstances were nothing like that. Circumstances will be different for all of us, but the position is still the same. Without Jesus, you're lost. Without Jesus, you have no hope. Without Jesus, you're spiritually empty and thirsty. You don't have spiritual life without him, and when Jesus saves you, it changes everything. I, I was, when Christ came into my life, my circumstances were different from this woman. I didn't know what she knew, but I know this. I was lost. I was dead. Jesus came and saved me, and he's been changing my life ever since. I can't forget that. I can't get over that. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes all of us. If you know Christ, this is our condition. Listen to what he says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You weren't just on life support. You weren't just kind of hurt. You're dead. You have no spiritual life. There's no breath in you spiritually without Jesus Christ. But look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Have you received Christ as Savior? Then you were dead, spiritually lifeless, but when you received the gift of salvation, he made you alive, brought you to life. If you remember the song we just sang a few minutes ago, it says, you called my name and I ran out of that grave. That's what salvation is. You're dead. You have no hope until Jesus saves you. You leave that situation. That day changes your life for eternity from that moment on. Here's the, pressing, the, the thought, Christians. Don't ever get over that. Keep reminding yourself of that of where you were and where you would be without Jesus and where he's taken you and where he is taking you for eternity. Don't ever let ourselves get over it. This woman, she was sharing her story, not because someone was forcing her. There was no obligation here. She was enjoying, I have to tell somebody about it. And Christians, that should be our heart. I want someone else to know what I know because of what has changed my life out of joy, not obligation. Oh, here's the preacher telling us to share our faith again. Not out of obligation, out of thank you, God, for saving me. I want somebody else to know about this. Remember what Jesus did in you if we're going to change our focus. Let's keep moving in the story. The next verse, verse 33. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the well. That's where the story's kind of taking us, right? Um, Remember we said the reason the disciples were kind of shocked, amazed, partly was because of their culture and what, what they knew about the, the man and woman relationship. But the second thing that I want to suggest to you is they were shocked also because they were just clueless about what Jesus' mission really was here to be. Because you remember, it, the story is they went away to the town to get lunch, now they come back and they're talking, I mean, they're coming back, they got their Big Mac and fries and they're saying, Jesus, let's eat lunch so we can move on. You know, we don't, we don't really want to be here, let's, let's eat and go, right? So meanwhile, the disciples, here's what they said, Rabbi, eat something, verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? We're, Jesus isn't hungry anymore. Who, who brought him his lunch? Where is that guy? We missed him. Okay, here's what you got to remember. Think about this. It's very possible, since there was probably only one road in and out, that when those disciples went into town to get lunch, 
they would have passed that woman on her way out to the well. In fact, when they did, they would have either made a way around her because of who she was, or they would have waited awkwardly while she walked around them. But I guarantee you they didn't talk to her. So when they come back and find him talking to this woman, they're, they're shocked, they're amazed, because they have their mission. Their mission was to get lunch. Jesus, is time to eat. And they come back, and Jesus is now going to share with them what his mission is. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This leads me to our second thought. I want you, we're going to open your eyes to what God has done in you, but also open your eyes to what God is doing around you. Where you are in life, where we are in, in life is not an accident. The people you know is not an accident. The people you're going to meet this week is not. That, that what is God doing around you, and are we going to be willing to be aware of that? I've asked myself as I read this, how many times have I been a clueless disciple? God's doing something around me, and I'm either out of focus, I'm busy, I, don't, I just miss it altogether, just whew, right over my head, or as I said before, Maybe I, 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 don't, I turn my head because I don't want to see it anymore. Because if I go there, then I know that I'm going to be overwhelmed. That means I've got to get uncomfortable. I've got to do something. And if I don't look at it, then it goes away, right? If I, if I close my eyes, then it all goes away. And that could be part of our issue that we're just not willing to look. But here's what I want to get to. If we're going to truly get what we're seeing, what God is doing around us, couple of clues from this verse. First thing is this. It means putting God's will and God's work above everything else. Jesus said, my job is to do what God has called me to do. The disciples were focused on eating lunch. Jesus was focused on doing what God had called him to do, doing God's will. And that goes for all of us as disciples, regardless of what you do for a living our job as disciples, first and foremost, is to do God's will, God's work, God, what God has called us to do. Now think about this. We don't know from the story, did Jesus ever get a drink? <laughs> did Jesus ever get to eat his lunch? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we know is, here's what Jesus found out, that the most important thing had nothing to do with, with my, my food or my drink. It's about that, that what's, and what we do know is the story is going to tell us a whole village of Samaritans, a whole town of people is going to be impacted. They're going to have their faith changed. They're going to, be, they're going to realize who Jesus is. This is going to impact them. For All the disciples are going to get to see this happen. And Jesus tells us later, Luke chapter 19, Jesus says that the Son of Man, that's me, he says, came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I'm here. That's why God brought me here. I'm to seek and go after those who are lost. Jesus said eating is, is secondary. Reaching the lost, that's primary. Seeking those who need me, that's primary. And, and what we're also going to find, that less than three years later, just hours before Jesus is going to go to the cross, Jesus is having a very intimate prayer with his Father. And in this prayer, he starts one of the first things he says, verse number 4 of John 17. He says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That's a really powerful testimony. God, that, you sent me here seeking to save. I did that. I've done, my, I've done what you called me here to do. That's incredible. 
But I don't want you to miss something else he says later in that same prayer. He's still praying to his father, but now he's not praying about himself. He's praying about his followers, his disciples. And look what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And now, the same reason you sent me here, Father, I am sending them to do the same thing, to seek and to save the lost. In fact, after he resurrects from the grave, Jesus is going to give his disciples uh, in several different fashions. He's going to tell them in one place to go into all the world and make disciples, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In one place he's going to say, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then in Acts he says, you will be my witnesses from here to the whole end of the earth. He's basically saying, guys, you have the same job I have. It is to go after those who are lost, to go outside and to bring them the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what he was telling them. And here's the thing, Christians, we are his disciples. It's the same commission for us. That's our same marching orders. As he went seeking the lost, we are to go seeking the lost. That's what God has called us. But here's the issue that I have. I get so wrapped up in the physical and the natural and the things going on. And even sometimes those are good things. But I get so wrapped up in that that I miss the spiritual. I miss the eternal. I miss the things that are most important and the people around me that, that need to see it. But we, we are so busy sometimes making a buck that we miss the, the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who's, we're so busy with life, or maybe we, there's some of the people we're just not fond of. It's that annoying neighbor or that, that bothersome coworker, and it's like, oh, just get him out of my life. And God is saying, you're, you're missing, the most important thing is not your comfort, it's your, those people need Jesus. I mean, let's be honest, some of us would, would be, more, be more bothered by someone's political party than we would be by the fact that if they die without Jesus, they're going to hell. Does that make sense? We, we put our comfort, we put our opinions, we put our rights, we put our yards above the souls of people who need to know about Jesus. Because what he's saying is we've got to put his work, his will above everything else. There's something else he does in this story. He also talks to us about developing, I'll call it a harvest mindset. And I use that word because it's right here in the scripture. That's what Jesus, it's an image that he's using. Go back to our opening verse. Remember what he said? Don't you, say, don't you have a saying? It's still four months to harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Some of your versions would say they are white unto harvest. That's, that's the image because as the wheat would, would come to its fruition, it's time to harvest, it goes from the, you know, from the green to the yellow to the white, and that means it's, it's ripe, it's ready. But do you understand what Jesus is doing? Is He's actually giving these disciples an object lesson right in front of their eyes. Because here's what's happening. Jesus' disciples are on a little hill outside of Sychar, outside of the city, and they're at this well, and and. What we also know is most of the men in town, the, the kind of the common dress would have been some form of an off-white kind of a robe. All right, so we also know the lady went back into the town and told the people what happened to her, and the town started coming out from the city, and they're coming out to the well. So when Jesus says, look at the, open your eyes and look at the fields, he points to the city, and here's all these people in their white robes walking towards him, and he's saying, guys, do you see, this is the harvest right here. 
Here's what we're here for. All of these people are coming to us because this is what we're called to do is to reach these people. Here's what, there's several things we can learn. One is the harvest may be ready right in unexpected places. God has put you where you are for a reason. God, and you say, oh, they're never gonna listen. The, the Samaritans and this woman would be the last person you would ever thought would ever, they didn't even care about God, it didn't seem like. And yet this was the harvest field. God put it right in front of them. Your testimony, your word, right where God has you, unexpected harvest, right where God would want it to be. Keep looking in this, verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. He also tells them that there's great reward There's great joy in just doing what God has called you to do. One of the greatest things in the world that I've ever experienced is to be sitting across from someone who bows their head and says, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner, save me. It can't get any better than that. There's a joy for the person accepting Jesus. There's a joy for the person. There's a reward for all. all, He says all this harvest, there's something about it that you're missing if you're not doing it. You keep reading verse 37, thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. Here's something that goes without saying, but we have to say it. And that is this, that to reap a harvest, you got to plant a seed. That's farming 101, right? If you want to harvest, you got to put seed in the ground. It's for all of us to share the gospel, to share the truth. We've got to plant the seed. God then promises the harvest, but he says in verse 38, that I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. He said, you disciples, you, you didn't even plant this harvest. Someone else did. Now, whether he was talking about the Old Testament prophets, which she mentions, or maybe he's talking about his interaction with her, or maybe he's just talking about the woman and her testimony, whatever. He said, someone else planted the seed, and now you get to enjoy the harvest. You get to see people believe in Jesus. Here's the thing. You may do the hard work of planting, and someone else will get to see the harvest. That's okay, because the point is, there's a harvest We plant a seed, you plant a seed, you water, you get to harvest. I plant a seed, I water. I may never see the harvest, but you do. It's not, that. the point is, God says there is a harvest mindset that we are looking at people all around us that are ripe for harvest if we're willing to share the truth of who Jesus is. So let's summarize where we've been so far. Open your eyes. See what God has done in you. Open your eyes and see what God is doing around you. And then last, open your eyes and see what God can do through you. I want you to see what happens as this story comes to an end. This woman goes back to town, tells the people they're coming out. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we're no longer believed just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is supposed to be a quick trip. We're just stopping for lunch, and we're on, on north, and they're there for two days. And in those two days, people come to believe in Jesus, but don't miss that first part. They believed because of her testimony. I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, followers of Christ, to just try to imagine what God could do through you if you're willing to speak up for him. You're willing to share what God has has done for you. Think of what 
he could do through you. Matthew 9, Jesus talks about the harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful. There are people, but the, it's the laborers that are few. There, there, we need, we need the, the people that have the story to keep telling it. We have to, church, leave here with an urgency that there are people who need Jesus, and death is a reality. Jesus is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. But the point is this. If people die or, the, or Jesus comes and they don't know him, they're lost. We have to work with urgency, but also work with expectancy of what could happen if you share your story, if you share what God has done for you, if you share what God is doing in people's life. And Paul put it this way in Galatians 9, do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Harvest mindset. What could God do through you? You plant the seed. You keep watering the seed. God puts you right in the right place and see what God what God could do through you. John 4, 35, again, remember, open your eyes, look at the fields. You open your eyes today and you see what God, if you know Christ as Savior, think of what he's done for you. Think of what he's doing around you and the people in your sphere and think of what he could do through you if you trust him to do what he has called you to do. Church, we must turn our focus inside out. We, we need to grow, we need to gather, we need to huddle, absolutely. But remember, in just a few minutes, the church will have left the building. The church will get off your couch and we start doing what the church is supposed to do. Will we focus on those who need Christ and do what he has called us to do? The church will be leaving the building. Here's what I know, Calvary is it's very easy for us as a church to lose sight of what we're really supposed to be doing. And I know as a leader, I, I feel the, the weight of sometimes knowing that I'm not leading in the way that takes us to that vision of seeing the outside. So here's what I commit to you to do. Today, God speaking, God working in me, to lead you to the point where we start focusing again on what we're here to do that we leave this building, we share Christ, we make a difference, and just watch what God could do through us. So I want to challenge you to pray this prayer. You'll find it at the bottom of your outline. Lord, help me as I leave, or maybe you could just say, help me to live with open eyes. Open my eyes to what you've done in me, what you're doing around me, what you could do through me and through us. Help me to live with open eyes. Here's what I want to do as we wrap up today. I want to end a little bit differently. I invite everybody just to, as you put your pins down for a moment, you just close your eyes, bow your heads with me. I know, that's kind of funny. We're talking about open your eyes, and I just told you to close them. But, <laughs> but there is a reason for this. I want you to just block out the distractions best you can and just really focus your heart with me for a minute. Because in these next couple minutes, I, I want to ask you to consider repeating a couple of phrases with me. As we open our eyes to what God's doing and has done, let's think about a few things. First phrase I would encourage you to say with me is simply this. Jesus is all that I need. Would you say that with me? Jesus is all that I need. Now, I don't know what exactly that means to you today. For some of you, if you put yourself in that story, you're that woman at the well. 
you're, you're lost, you're, you, you feel it, you don't know the, the joy of forgiveness, you don't yet received a personal relationship with Christ, you, you know there's something missing, you're thirsty, and you, whatever it is, however you describe it, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is the water that you're looking for. Will you receive him and his gift of salvation? But even as believers, sometimes we, we get so focused and we get so distracted by the things, we forget that what we were striving for, the thing we need and need most is Jesus. So Jesus is all that I need. Here's a second phrase that I want to grab out of this story, and that would be this. God loves all people everywhere. Would you say that with me? God loves all people everywhere. Now think about that. That means you. You're one of the all people. God loves you. Sent his son to die for you. He cares about it, the details of your life. But also remember that God loves every person you're going to meet this week. God cares about their eternal soul. God wants them to know him. And there's not, it's not an accident that he's crossed your path. So it's about, God, help me to see them. Help me to care for them the way that God cares for them because God loves all people everywhere. And last, last phrase, Lord, open my eyes. Would you say that with me? Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what you're doing and what you've done in me. Help me to see what you're doing around me. Don't let me miss it. And help me to have the boldness and the courage to let you work through me. Open my eyes. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for what you've taught us. And Lord, I pray that it will not just stay here, but we'll take it with us this week. Lord, please do a work in our lives. Lord, if there's one under the sound of my voice, whether they're here in this service they're watching on, on television or on their computers today. God, I pray that you would help them. If, you've not, if they've not yet received your gift of salvation, let them know this is what they're looking for. Help them to come to know you. Help them to come to you and, and confess their need of salvation, knowing that you died and rose again for them. Let this be the day of their salvation. Please draw them today. And for all of the followers of Christ, help us to remember what you have done when you saved us, Help us to be open and aware of what you're doing around us and have the boldness to let you work through us to change the lives of the world around us. Thank you, God.